Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 228. We'll continue in the book of Nehemiah with a brief summary of chapters 4 through 7 and follow with some thoughts about serving the people and earning. Word is spreading that Nehemiah's wall project has achieved its first goal, and the locals are roiled. Mockery, it seems, is not enough to stop the building, so Sanballat, leader of the Samaritan community, and his sidekick Tovia, along with, quote, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, plan to attack Jerusalem. Nehemiah organizes a spirited defense, directing, quote, the builders each had his sword girded on his hip as they built, and the sounder of the ram's horn was by me. Half would work, while the other half would stand guard, and then switch. And in this fashion, the work continues round the clock. Quote, at that time, too, I said to the people, each man and his lad shall spend the night within Jerusalem, and shall be a watch for us at night, and during the day, the task. And neither I, nor my brothers, nor my lads, nor the men of the watch would take off our garments. Each man held his weapon in his right hand. With the external threat seemingly managed, Nehemiah's attention is suddenly drawn to an internal matter that has the potential of blowing up the community from the inside. Out of control income inequality. Quote, and some were saying, our sons and our daughters are many, and we would take grain and eat and stay alive. And some were saying, our fields and our vineyards and our homes we are pawning, that we may take grain during the famine. And some were saying, we have borrowed money for the king's tax against our fields and our vineyards, and now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, and our sons are like their sons. And look, we are consigning our sons and our daughters to slavery. And some of our daughters have already been consigned, with us powerless, in our fields and our vineyards to others. Nehemiah explodes with indignation and summons Judea's one percenters, quote, Are you dunning your brothers for debts? And I set against them a great crowd. Nehemiah continues, quote, And I said to them, We have bought back our Jewish brothers, sold to the nations as much as we could. And you, on your part, sell your brothers, and they are sold to us? And they fell silent and found no words. And I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And I too, my brothers and my lads, hold claims against them of money and grain. Let us abandon, pray, this claim of debt. Give them back today, pray their fields, their vineyards, their olive trees, and the claim of money and of grain, wine, and oil for which you are dunning them. I guess shame was still a thing back then in Nehemiah's day because in the presence of the Kohanim and the people, the one percenters pledged to cancel debts and return lands. Nehemiah then reflects on his reign as satrap of upholding a standard of morality as leader with almost unchecked power. Quote, 12 years I and my brothers did not eat the satrap's bread. This stands in contrast to his predecessors who, quote, laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for bread and wine 40 shekels of silver. Their lads, too, lorded it over the people. But I did not do this because of the fear of God. Nehemiah concludes his performance review with a prayer, quote, Recall, O oh my God, to my credit, all that I have done for this people. 
And just when we thought it was safe to go back in the water, San Balat is poised to strike again. With the all-out assault thwarted, he seeks to do damage through other means. He invites Nehemia to a regional conference, but Nehemia is no dummy. Quote, They were planning to do harm to me, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great task and will not be able to go down. Why should the work stop if I were to desist from it and come down to you? And they sent to me in this fashion four times, and I answered them in this fashion. So Sanbalat shifts strategy. The fifth letter is an open letter, a public document, inquiring about the real reason for the wall project. Quote, It has been heard among the nations, and Geshem says, You and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, do you rebuild the wall, and you are becoming their king, as these words have it. And prophets, too, you have set up to proclaim of you in Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now it will be heard by the king, as these words have it. And now, come and let us meet together. Smoky, my friend. You're entering a world of pain. Nehemia responds briefly, dismissing the information as hearsay and rumor. Sanbalat is undeterred. He hires prophets to intimidate Nehemia with dire predictions, but Nehemia sees through the ploy and, quote, Look, God had not sent him, but the prophecy he spoke concerning me, Tovia and Sanbalat, had hired him as he was hired so that I would be afraid and do this and offend, and it would be an evil report for them that they might disgrace me. Remember, O oh my God, of Tovia and Sanbalat, their acts, and also of Noadia the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who are seeking to frighten me. Despite all these tricks and shenanigans and the apparent assistance of some of the nobles of Judah who were affiliated with Tovia, the wall is completed. And chapter 7 begins with an accounting. The wall is built, the gates are secured, and now Nehemiah needs gatekeepers, choristers, and Levites. He also needs people to populate the city. So after an extensive census of the population, he prepares the people for an announcement that he intends to make in the seventh month when, quote, all Israel were in their towns. Unlike Ezra, who went all in on dissolving intermarriages, and it's not clear from the book of Ezra that that policy ever came to fruition, Nehemiah's agenda was as ambitious, just not as personal. No one asked anyone to break up with their family. Nehemiah sought to redirect the nation's energies into rebuilding Jerusalem's walls, galvanizing workers from across the country into the effort. It was a feat of civil engineering as well as social engineering because, for the first time, it pulled the different sectors of the Jewish community into a coherent unit with a common cause. And it came at great physical risk to the builders. But again, as risky as this project was, it was not personal and it ended with an unequivocal win for Nehemiah and the Jewish community. But before this achievement was unlocked, Nehemiah pulled off what, in my opinion, was an even greater feat. He convinced the 1% to forgive debt that was accumulated during a national crisis, and he led by example. Judea was crippled by famine, and countless Jews sold off their fields and their labor to the rich in order to survive. How could Nehemiah effectively rule a society in which the 99% were effectively enslaved to the 1%, condemned to peonage not because of bad financial planning or laziness, but because of a natural event? 
and Nehemiah, in his demand for debt forgiveness, is quick to point out that he as leader could have easily enriched himself during the famine, and some of his entourage did, and they forgave the debt to set an example. Quote, From the day he charged me to be their satrap in the land of Judah, and from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, I and my brothers did not eat the satrap's bread. But it seems that eating the satrap's bread and enriching oneself while ruling the people was so commonplace that Nehemiah had to publicly declare that he was not doing that from the moment he took power, or at least from this moment going forward. Monarchies and oligarchies, in a sense, are kind of set up for rent-seeking. And rent-seeking in this context is not about earning money from a lease, but from trying to increase your own wealth without creating new wealth. So, for example, let's say you own a property and a river runs through it, and you install a chain across the river and hire a collector to charge passing boats a fee to lower the chain. There's nothing productive about the chain or the collector. You've made no improvements to the river, and you're not adding any value in any way, directly or indirectly, except for your own bank balance. Now, Predatory lending also falls under this category, as does abusive credit card practices, which just takes money from people on the bottom and in the middle, and often does it in a very deceptive way, and sometimes even in a fraudulent way, and just moves it to the top. Investing in the stock market with insider information is also a form of rent-seeking, which seems to be in vogue these days in the 117th U.S. Congress, where increasing numbers of people have noticed that some members of Congress earn higher than average returns on their stock investments. According to Unusual Whales, a website that tracks the nexus of politics, investing, and finance, observed that in 2021, it was a banner year for Congress people's trades. Hundreds of millions of dollars were exchanged on the stock market by elected officials. In just equities, Congress bought and sold nearly $290 million throughout the year. And most importantly, Congress beat the market. Big legislative events, such as the infrastructure bill getting passed by the Senate, were often preceded by politicians trading in the sectors affected. There were tons of unusual trades where politicians made millions of dollars. For example, Tom Price a former congressperson from Georgia, repeatedly traded healthcare stocks, including a discounted purchase through a special offer from an Australian drug company. Representative John Yarmouth, a Kentucky Democrat, bought several cannabis stocks while promoting bills favorable to the industry. Several senators, including Dianne Feinstein, a Democrat, and Kelly Loeffler and Richard Burr, both Republicans, sold stocks after receiving a private briefing on COVID-19 weeks after the discovery of the first case in China. Senator David Perdue, a Georgia Republican who was active trading while in the Senate, bought shares in companies that stood to benefit from the pandemic like Pfizer and Netflix. The wife of Senator Rand Paul, a Kentucky Republican, bought stock in Gilead Sciences, which makes a COVID antiviral drug in the pandemic's early weeks. When asked about this unusually lucrative trend, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi had this to say. This is a free market and people, we are a free market economy, they should be able to participate in that. Unusual whales also disclosed which members of Congress did best with their picks. I'll throw up a link to that list on Tanakhcast page. But where it gets interesting is how these members of Congress account for earning returns greater 
than the SPDR S&P 500 trust ETF. Here's Republican Representative Dan Crenshaw explaining himself. Um, I mean, I think it'd be fine if you wanted to ban individual stock trading. Mm-hmm. Um, notice I said individual stocks. Right. What, what, of course, uh, as opposed to what? Stupids, as opposed to ETFs, indexes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of neutral on it. Like, I, if, if, if you want only millionaires and billionaires to run for Congress, then, then keep making sure that we can't raise our pay, that we can't get a housing stipend, that we have to just spend um, spend or pay rent in two different places. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, if, if you want to, if, if that's what you want to support, but just keep in mind that no one will, no one will run for Congress mm-hmm. because it's, it's, you have no way to better yourself. Now, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but the last time I checked elected officials in a democratic Republic are not elected to better themselves, but to serve the people. And sometimes servants of the people have to make sacrifices. However, an annual salary of $174,000 doesn't really strike me as a sacrifice unless you, as Representative Crenshaw does, sees that sum as insufficient when the people around you, the lobbyists, the CEOs of multinational corporations or their members of the 1% consider that to be chump change. In fact, the people that work for Crenshaw on Capitol Hill earn far less and are expected to live in Washington, D.C. Apparently, they can make it work without insider trading on the stock market. One doesn't have to live like a pauper, but that doesn't mean that one has to live like a prince either, especially when that princely lifestyle comes from outright corruption. Now, Nehemiah could have done what his predecessors did. He could have jacked up taxes and skimmed off the top. He could have collected interest on debts and sold off land that he could have confiscated, but he didn't do that. As he says, quote, I did not do this because of the fear of God. And also I supported the task of this wall and I bought no field and all my lads were gathered there for the task. And despite his expenses, which he lays out with detail, Quote, for all this, I did not request the satraps bread for the services was heavy upon the people. I am doubtful that attempts to ban members of Congress from trading stocks will pass in Congress. The only way such rent-seeking and self-dealing can come to a voluntary end is if the very careers of these individuals were held in the balance. As Nehemiah proclaimed, recall, O oh my God, to my credit, all that I have done for this people. God will remember, but it's doubtful that come election time, the people will. If you like what you hear today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible-learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 229 when we continue in the book of Nehemiah with chapters 8 through 11.